0: Good to see all of you today. I want to start with a story today that goes back a number of years. I can't remember how many years it is now, but I think it happened on a Saturday morning. We had a knock at our door and Pearl Corso was there. Now, Pearl was our next door neighbor. And you ever have neighbors you're close to? you know, neighbors that you really, were like family. They were kind of like that. They were like great grandparents to our kids. And our kids would wander over to their house, you know, and play in their yards and work in the yard, you know, with them and do different things. They would come over. Ron was a handyman and he would do work in our house. And we would, we shared, we shared actually a refrigerator and a freezer that we had in their garage and we had the key to get in. They, we'd watch their house and they'd watch our house. And, We loved the family. The whole neighborhood loved the family. And we were all in mourning because I had recently done a memorial service for her husband, Ron. He had passed away. And we had all been very sad. We'd been watching Pearl closely. And she was a pretty resilient personality. But she came over this day, and she was laughing. And she didn't normally laugh that much. I hadn't seen her laugh so much since Ron had passed away. And she says, I've got to talk to somebody about this. It's just so ridiculous. It's so horrible. I've got to laugh about it. She said, "I, I got all my paperwork back from the government. And she was a very sharp lady and very meticulous, you know, did all the paperwork. She says, I got all the paperwork back, and I discovered that the government says that I'm dead, not my husband. (laughs) She says, I'm thinking about changing my name from Mrs. Corso to Mrs. Corpso. (laughs) Of course, we all laughed with her, but what a crazy thing to have to work through. Have you ever had people think that you were dead, but you were alive? If you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ you have died you have died to sin you've died to the law and now you're alive again so you really have died and people the regular person on the street may not have seen that they think you're still alive and you are alive but you're a new person you're a new person in Christ and that's so much of what we're talking about as we go through the power of the gospel which we've been talking through as we're going through um, Paul's long letter or epistle to the Romans. And, you know, it's just this power that God has taken on in our lives that is all part of the good news. Remember, gospel means good news. And, and the good news is, is that we can come into a relationship with God by faith. Just by surrendering our lives to him, we come into that relationship. And when that happens, our lives are transformed. What happens that we see in that power is that we actually die and then we come back to life as new people. And God is working in our lives in special ways. And we're going to see a transition that's starting to take place here in Romans. And we take that formula that we're saved by grace. In other words, there's nothing you can do to earn your way into heaven. You're saved by grace. You're saved through faith. So it's, it's grace plus faith. All you're asked to do is surrender and believe. But it results in what? It results in works. It results in a transformed life. You never want to change the equation because then we're in trouble. But our life should change. And so Paul is really most of the rest of the book, he's going to be moving into this whole idea of now you have the power in your life. This is what's happened to you, and this is how you should live as a result. So we're heading down that road today as we continue to look at um, Paul's letter. Next week, he's going to talk about how hard it is, this balance between being dead to the law and being dead to sin, and what does that mean and how it can still be a struggle for us. And we'll talk about that next week as we'll look at Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25. So read the rest of chapter 7 next week. Today, I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Let's read it. Um, or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, in the new way of the law and not in the old way of the written code. I really believe the theme here is that we're dead to sin. You know, Joe agrees, so it's got to be. We are dead to sin. Um, And we're going to look at how that plays out. In the first four verses, we'll see that the law is only for the living. He's pretty straightforward. He says, do you not know brothers, the word for brothers in Greek is essentially the same word for humankind, for humanity. So nobody gets off. This is for everybody, men, women, children. He's talking to us all, and he says, I'm speaking now to those who know about the law. So he's talking about the Mosaic law. Remember, historically, in Rome, the first church was started by Jewish Christians, those who had converted from Judaism to Christianity, and a lot of the early people in the church were people who had you know, converted from being a Gentile to a Jew and then had converted from being a Jew to Christianity, and so they knew This law, just the same law we know from the Old Testament today, he says, you know what I'm talking about there, but I think in principle we could probably plug in any law, even the things that we create as laws in our heads. And he says, it's binding on a person only as long as they live. Do you know that when you die you don't pay taxes? That's true. Wonder about it sometimes, right? No, when you're dead, you're dead. You're dead. They can't do anything to you anymore. That's what I told Mrs. Corsell Pearl. I said, and boy, we'd love to. She recently passed away just a couple years ago. We got to see her again in a visit shortly before she passed away. She was a kick. But I told her, I said, don't tell them. Let them think you're dead. Because then you don't have to do it, pay anything anymore. <laughs> of course, it doesn't work out that way, right? But, but that's, you know that's how it seemed. If you're dead, you're dead. Nobody can do anything to you. If you're dead, you no longer are any, un, under any law. Once you're dead, it's over. Now, Paul's going to pull this out and expand on it, and he's going to use the illustration of marriage. And we're going to find that, like all illustrations, it falls short. It's not perfect. But we get the basic gist of what he's saying here if we follow through. First of all, he says, uh, he's going to talk about a woman who's married. She's bound by the law of marriage. Literally... In Greek, she's bound, or literally she's under her husband. He chooses the woman, not the man, because especially before the advent of Christianity, this was really being abused. And so a woman was under the man, and she didn't have much control. He could be good. He could be a good guy or a bad guy, but she didn't really have a choice. Once she's married, she's married. Divorce was not something, no matter how bad he was to her, that could even be considered. Separation really could not be separated, considered so much on her part. That's just the way things were running at that time among Jewish people. And so she had to wait for him to die. Now, could she still choose to leave him, though? I mean, could she run away with another guy? She could still choose to do that. But that would be adultery. And, of course, adultery is one of those things that nobody likes unless they're in it. And then they're the ones who hate it the most afterwards because of the repercussions. And she knows that that would be wrong. So he says that she really doesn't have much of a choice here, really. Her only choice is when he dies. When she die, he dies, then she can marry another person. Now, he says the word likewise in verse 4, and he's making a transition. He's going to do contrast here. And the contrast, if you follow his line of thought, is he's talking about us. He's going, well, where is he going, you think? Where in the world is he going? He's going off on some tangent. But wait a minute. He's talking about you. Who are you married to? When you're born, you are married to the law. You are married to the law. You are married to all these things, you know, that we have to do. All these rules and regulations of life. And there's some things that are good about the law. But overall, there's a lot of problems and we're stuck. And there's no way out. Now this is where the illustration breaks down. It breaks down because in order to get out of this marriage, he's saying that the husband has to die and now she's free to remarry. But it's a little bit different. How do we get out of the law? We have to die. But you see the idea is that death is the only thing that can sever this relationship with the law. It's the only thing that can set us free. We have to die. And once we die then everything begins to open up. And then we have this opportunity to now because of Christ, we die with Christ and now we're in relationship with him and we can choose to follow him instead of follow the law. And by the way, we can still choose to play the role of the adulteress and run back to the old way. And Paul will talk about that increasingly starting next week. We can go back to the old way and live the wrong way. So it doesn't always, you know, that's the problem. But There is that problem. But if we choose to follow Christ, then we have his power in our lives. And this is really cool because it says that with Jesus, it says that uh, he has been raised from the dead, which talks about his eternality. So in other words, you're married to the best husband you could possibly imagine, the dream husband, and he's never going to die. And it's an eternal relationship, an eternal union. And just like in most marriages, children come. Well, when you're unified with Christ spiritually, you produce good fruit. This is what we're talking about. You begin to change. Your life is transformed, and you begin to do things better than you used to do. And so that's the picture that Paul gives us. It's kind of an interesting illustration that he brings for us today to kind of begin and and get us going. I think about romance, and I think romance is, is probably the leading genre in movies today Um, even action heroes have some kind of romantic attachment, it seems like. So, so that's something that's popular. Men dream about the soulmate as well as women. And most people desire to have that dream family. We watch the old sitcoms, right? And we say, wouldn't you like to have that perfect family like the old sitcoms? Are those sitcoms real? Now, here's the contrast for you. What was probably the most popular family sitcom of the last 20 years? Try the Cosby show. You don't see it very much anymore. Why? I mean, isn't that a heartbreak? I loved Bill Cosby. I thought he was hilarious. I liked so much of what he seemed to stand for. But in reality, that wasn't true. And reality show is not what scripted reality shows are. Have you figured that out yet? Reality is a whole lot different. And the truth is, a lot of people are in nightmare marriages and in nightmare families. And the truth is that even those that are committed in the relationship to Jesus Christ will still have their heartaches in marriage and in family, because we live in an imperfect world full of dysfunctions. Every family has their dysfunctions. Do you ever notice that yet? It's really weird. You begin to you usually begin to realize it when you get married, and you say, "Well, I thought our family did it this way, and your family does it that way." Wait a minute. How could you be doing it the wrong way? What's wrong with your family? You know, and then you begin to say, well, could it be my family is the one that's wrong? You, you see what I'm saying? And you begin to realize those things. And the thing is, we're all imperfect. But what Jesus offers is the perfect family. And it's almost an inversion. Because what happens when we grow up in family, we kind of tend to, when you're young, and you're, you, know, you kind of think your family and everybody around you has it together. And then as you get older, you say, oh, no, we're not as, as good as I thought we were. And, and people do have problems. And then people you love die and it doesn't, it gets worse in a lot of ways, but it's an inversion because with Jesus, when we come into his family, we say, man, this family's messed up. We've got a lot of problems, but as you grow in Christ, you see that even those people that sometimes wouldn't be your friends, become your friends and you develop these amazing relationships. And then as you get to heaven, we're perfected to the point where we're all able to get along and we have this incredible relationship. And you know how long it lasts for eternity. So, it's the perfect family. It's the thing that we all want. It's the thing that we were made for. Uh, you were made to do this. You know, you've died to the past and you're now a new person. And the reason, there's so many things like this that, that we don't realize. That the, have you ever thought about the reason you want to have a soulmate, the reason you want to have best friends, the reason you want to have a family is because God put that in your heart? You're made for it. You were made for that very thing. And if you embrace Jesus, you will one day experience so much more. You, you will experience what it really means, what all those longings in your hearts will be fulfilled in relationship with him for eternity in heaven. So you know, Paul begins with that, and then he begins to talk about your new life. And he says that we're to live the new life in the spirit. Let's look at the last few verses here, the last couple verses, five through six. We lived a new life in the spirit. He starts off and he says, now, wait a minute. Before I talk about your new life in the spirit, what was our life like before when we were living in the flesh? The word flesh is basically the old man, Adam. We talked about that earlier. It's the old system. It's the way we live the way the world lives. What was your life like when you tried to follow the way the world lives? What was it like then? And you think about that, well, not really so good. What were our passions and our desires? Sometimes our desires were opposite what the, the Bible would teach, were opposite what the law would teach. It was in conflict with the law. Now, this is very interesting. He gives us a little taste of it now. He just kind of hints at it, and he'll go more into it later. But when we look at the law, the Jewish people thought, and you do too sometimes, that the law curbs sin, right? Right? If you're told what not to do, then that's going to keep you from doing the bad thing. Correct? That's what they say. But the problem is, is it doesn't always work that way. In fact, the law can actually arouse or entice us to sin. Meant for good, but it entices us to sin. How in the world could the law entice us to sin? Let me explain. Illustration. When you paint your fence don't put on it, wet paint, don't touch. Okay? You know what I'm talking about, right? Because somebody has to come along and say, I wonder if it is. Uh, Randy Alcorn says this, he says, forbidden fruit is a powerful lure to sinful people. Forbidden fruit is a powerful lure to sinful people. Because we're told not to, we end up doing it. And, and he, you know, what Paul is saying is this fruit is dishonesty, Anger, distrust, manipulation, violence, and so forth. It's corrupt, and it's perishable, and it ends in death. That's where we were heading. That's life before. But now he offers something new. He says we've been released from the law. We've died to it. It can't hold us captive anymore. We're no longer under the written code. We're no longer under this code, this manual that we have to follow. But we're in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a time to kind of mention who the Holy Spirit is. Um, The Holy Spirit, we hear a lot of times about the Holy Spirit. Well, who is this Holy Spirit? If we look at different places in Bible, oftentimes Paul's beginnings of his letters. We go back last Christmas and we looked at Luke chapter 1. And we looked at how Jesus was born. And all the time we just see this interaction where God is always described as one God. And yet there's God the Father in heaven. God, the Son, Jesus, who comes to earth and rises from the dead, and God, the Spirit, who works on earth in our lives. And what we have before us is something that transcends us and cannot be fully explained. We can try illustrations as much as we want, but what we're realizing is that God is greater than we are. And And what we have in Christianity is something that we have in no other religion. Other religions have many gods or one God. Only Christianity says there is one God who has eternally existed in three persons. And God, the Holy Spirit, works in our lives today. And he's the one that we now interact with. You know, he's the one that makes it possible for us to interact with God as a whole. And he's the one who guides and directs us in our lives. So it's now about a relationship, not about the written law. And that changes everything. And when we come into this relationship and we grow with him, we begin to produce fruit. Like we were talking about earlier with Jesus. And when we're talking about this, they, we kind of overlap. We can say Jesus or the Holy Spirit because they're actually working together. The most famous place for producing fruit is the fruit of the Spirit, which we talked about a few years ago in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Don't... How many people would like those qualities to be true in their lives? Right? We got it. Yeah. So we're praying for Joe. Um, But, but yeah, you know, what, what are those, those qualities? We want those qualities to be true in our lives. And that happens when we come in relationship with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives and he changes everything. Now, keeping with the family analogy, how many of you remember when you became parents for the first time? And what did you do? You read all the books, you watched all the videos, you went to all the classes. I still remember going to the class and I, I got in trouble one time because we were, they were telling the ladies in the class you need to bear down. You can do this anytime you want to prepare. You know, it's a practice that you do to prepare for having a baby. And you know, just in your stomach and stuff, just bear down and and so I got on an v- elevator with all the people from class and I said, "How many of you ladies are practicing?" My wife elbowed me, you know. <laughs> but they had all these things you had to do. All these things. It doesn't matter where you're at. you got to do these things. you got to be thinking about these things. And husbands, you have your things to do. And wives, you have your things to do. And you know the problem is? Is that you start reading the books and the people that write the books disagree with each other. So who's right and who's wrong? And then you encounter something that nobody else has a problem with. Our son... He would roll over. He learned to roll over early, and we thought, what a cute thing. He's rolling over in his crib. But then he couldn't roll back, and he'd get hysterical. And so we'd roll him back over, then he'd roll himself over again. He'd start crying again. We'd never seen that. We didn't know what to do. We looked in the books. They didn't tell us what to do. We were about panicked. We thought, you know, we've got this, uh, you know, really strange circumstance. So we went and we talked to Kim, who was the mother of four boys, like, Probably we would have talked to Jenna, the mother of four boys. And we said, what do we do? She said, well, we, I'm not, my three kids didn't have any problems. I had one son that had that problem. Apparently, it's a very rare thing. And there wasn't much we could do. You know, it's kind of like you got to wait until they get the strength to roll back over, which took like eight days or something, eight days of horror, eight days of hell on earth. And then finally, he learned, and he was okay. Isn't that crazy? We wrap ourselves up with it. Well, imagine, imagine living your life. Like you're, you're following the manual everywhere you go. Everything you do, you have to consult the manual. Everything you do, you have to watch the video. Everything you do, you have to ask somebody how to do this. And, and then when it doesn't add up, you've got to try to make it add up. And you've got to try to connect the dots and figure out something. You know what I'm describing? Is how most people live their lives. Most people have some principle, some law in their mind that this is the way I'm supposed to do it. And they're always trying to live up to that something. And at the end of the day, they always fail. Amen. And there's so many people who, who say that they're Christians and they live their life like this with their Bibles. And they just like, they're, they're just looking all the time. And when they can't find what the Bible says about how you're supposed to dress or wear, or comb your hair, they figure it out. And it becomes extreme legalism. And sadly enough, there are some that come to know Christ that just are having trouble getting out of that old lifestyle. Because you can still choose. You can still choose to commit adultery. You can still choose to go back, you know, spiritually speaking, like the woman. You can still choose. You're married now to Jesus, but you can still choose to try to live like you're not. You can still choose to live like you're married to the old Adam and the old man and the old system. But we don't have to anymore because we're in a relationship. That relationship is all different. Yeah, there are times we have difficult decisions where we have to spend time studying the Bible and have people help us through that. But in terms of regular life, a lot of it is just... You talk to God every day. You listen to him by reading your Bible. You fill yourself up with this. You confess your sins when they come. And then you move on. And you, it doesn't get you down. You just, it's an interaction that you have regularly with God. You can relax. You don't have to feel guilty anymore because God's already forgiven you. you know, and so it's a whole different lifestyle. I want to break this down into some applications for us today. And the first one is, is are you dead to the law? Are you dead to the law? Uh, I was visiting Joe in the hospital. Um, Joe had heart surgery. I, did, I, I messed Clifton up. I, just, I, I, I wanted to make sure, you, because some people didn't know, he had uh, six-path heart surgery. So um, must have a big heart um, to do that. But anyway, I went to visit Joe, and I was in the, going to the hospital, and there was this guy sitting out front waiting for his wife to pick him up. He had his cane, and he was in his 49er PJs. You don't see those very much anymore in the hospital. Yeah, uh, anyway, that was a sad day last week for some of us, but um, <laughs> Shannon's still having strong, I'm sorry I brought this up, Shannon, she was, she was doing better, she was, now, she's, now she's back, um, but but we're happy for Joe and the other people that rooted for, uh, for that team. Um, anyway, this guy, I said, go Niners, and he starts talking to me. And he, And he wouldn't let me go. I mean, he just kept talking, and he had some very derogative things to say about the chiefs that you know, are kind of crass and stuff, and I'm trying to be polite and listen to him. And then uh, he says, "What do you have in your hand?" And I said, uh, "A Bible." And I said, he goes, "What are you doing? You know, here You come to visit somebody?" I said, "Yeah, and I've actually come to visit a friend of mine in the hospital um, who is a chiefs fan, uh, but we love him anyway." <laughs> um, and he said to me, he said, "Well, he said, I'm Jewish." And I said to him, uh, so was Jesus. And he said, yeah, I know that. So we were, you know, we were getting along fine at this point. And then he said, and this was, and it was almost like it was planned. His car pulled up and he began to walk away. And then he turned, he kind of rose his hand in the air. And he says, I want to tell you that I think that all religions are a farce, Really? Um, and he says, and all we need to do is love one another. This coming from the guy who had said all these bad things about the Chiefs. Um, <laughs> and I said to him, I said, it doesn't seem to me like it's working very well. <laughs> and he looked at me like, you just ruined my day. And, uh, and then he got in his car and drove away. I thought, well, I didn't mean to be you know, like Debbie Downer here. But, but the deal is, is, it isn't working for him. It was clear that he's fairly miserable. And he's trying to, he says, if we just love one another, we're going to be okay. People have been saying that since the creation of the earth. And everybody keeps killing each other and having wars and violence. We don't love one another. We can't love one another. Have you figured that out yet? We just can't do it. And that's why we do need Someone to guide us. We do need Jesus. Because when Jesus comes into people's lives. He makes them better people than they were. He doesn't make them superior to others. But they're better than they were. And when they come together. And they work together for the cause of Christ. They can change the whole world. They can change communities. They can change the whole world. And we've seen that in pockets throughout history. We can have a huge impact. As we invite people. As people come to know Christ. And so it's really important. That we we recognize that. And we surrender our lives to Christ. And we we don't live to the code, but we live to Jesus. If you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, I encourage you to do so. Um, Recognize that you're a sinner. You need a Savior. This world, people are trying all their different ways, and they're not getting there. And then acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And he rose from the grave for you and for all of us. And then surrender your life to him. Bow your knee to him. Give your life to the risen God. And allow him to begin that transformation in your life. And if you've come into a relationship with him, it may take a daily reminder, but remind yourself that you're no longer under a written code. You're in a relationship. And God is there to guide you and direct you in this life that you have. Now, the last thing that we're going to talk about, and we won't talk about a lot today, we'll be talking about it more in the future, but are you living in the spirit? You know, um, what does it mean to live in the Spirit? Again, let's just stop and think about this. How do we talk to God? We talk to Him primarily through prayer. And how do we listen to Him? Well, He will impress things upon us. I mean, there are times when you think, God, is that what you're telling me to do? Do you want me to go talk to that person? Or what do you want? And He gives us the words to say. Like when I was talking to that man, I really wasn't thinking of anything in particular, but it just kind of came in my mind, and it was like, You want me to say that? Well, I guess I will. And I think that that happens. But what really guides us is the word itself, the Bible. We need to know it because God speaks to us through the Bible. I've known people who've read the Bible for years and got nothing out of it until they came to know Christ. And once they come to know Christ, it's like the words jump off the pages. God is speaking to us. And so we need to interact with him daily and throughout the day. Just talk to him all the time. Um, Read the Bible Every day, get into a close relationship with him. And then when those times come, you'll know what to do. You don't have to worry about it. God will impress upon your heart what you're supposed to do. And when it's difficult, you can spend more time reading the Bible and praying and asking others and so forth, and you should. But most of the time, he'll just work it through. Let me tell you this. I'm going to prepare you, if you haven't thought about this, and most of you probably already know this, that you will will fail. Did you know that? You will, you will make your mistakes in the relationship. Um, you know, you're never perfect. You are to ex- expect to fail. And the reason you're going to fail God is because you fail everybody. Have you figured that out yet? If you haven't, ask the person that knows you best. <laughs> right? We all fail each other. But here's the good news. God will never fail you. And he will always, always, always be there for you. And when you come into a relationship with him, when you make your mistakes, he's already forgiven you. And all you have to do is say, I'm sorry, I blew that. Get back on the horse and start riding again. No need to to feel bad about it all the time, get all worked up. Just get it out right then and there and just move on. That's the victorious Christian life. It's no longer about all these rules and regulations that I have to follow. It's about interacting with the God of the universe and knowing you're forgiven and just learning as you go, doing the best you can to follow him, knowing that if you're really following him, don't really much have to worry about it. But if you do make a mistake, tell him you're sorry right away and clean it up and go on. Because if you wait, the problem can become a big one. But if you deal with it right away, you just move on and you have joy in your lot walk with the Lord. You know, we've all known women who have had miserable marriages. I've known some, in some cases, where the husband dies or, or, or leaves her. And then years come and she pat, marries another man and he's a great guy and they both become committed followers of Christ and they raise a fine family. And we call that redemption. Redemption literally means that God took something that was bad in her life and he made it good for her. So this is how it works for us. Likewise, we had a miserable marriage to sin and the law. But we've now died to the law because of Christ, and we now live for him. And it's an incredible marriage. And it's one we want to tell everybody about, don't we? When we got married, we didn't sit around and say, Hey, let's talk about who we don't want to have come to the wedding. Right? I can't wait for them not to come. All my life, I've hoped they wouldn't be there. That's not your rationality. You're thinking, who are we going to invite? And you start thinking you want to invite everybody. And then you say, well, we can't invite everybody. We have a budget, right? But you want to invite everybody because you want everybody to share in this wonderful experience that you've just had. That's how it should be Where for us. We've just married into the family of God. We should want everybody to know. This is way more important than our, our wedding ceremony. We're in relationship with Jesus. It was cool. A couple weeks ago, Linda Ben I we've had several memorials lately, but I, I did Linda's a couple weeks ago. Um, you guys were there. Um, and that was a hard time. But one of the things that hit me that really struck me in that memorial is, as I talked to her family, they told me that Linda would invite people to her Bible study fellowship. She had a person who was an atheist who started coming and gave their life to Christ because they're exposed to the family of God. I remember a couple of weeks ago when we had our testimony Sunday. Uh, Kelly Gall said that she invited people to come to her prayer um, meeting here at at this school, and these people didn't know the Lord, but she would invite people anyway. We should all be doing the same. Invite people to come to church. Tell them about your relationship with Christ because uh, you don't want them to just celebrate your wedding, but it'd be great to have, for them to get married into the kingdom as well. We join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, death—I mean, death is the thing that I think frightens me and all of us most. But we've already died. We've died to you. And now we live again and we're new people in Christ so that our physical death doesn't matter really. In the end, uh, we will live forever in Christ. Thank you for that and pray that that would be true for every person here in the room today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.